Yeah, we, uh, we sing these songs because they're filled with truth and they're reminders to our own soul. And then we sing to each other. We sing to the Lord. And um, these are all these things that uh, use, God uses in our time. Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 19. Uh, we're going to look at another Psalm of David, maybe one that you know as well. Um, one that maybe you're familiar with, and maybe those of you from the 70s can even remember a song about this. Um, but it, this is a, a Psalm of David, and I talked last week at length about who David was, David the king, uh, David uh, the shepherd, David's uh, um, man after God's own heart, but also David the failure, the David the adulterer, da- David the murderer, or uh, had the hitman go out and, and kill this man, Uriah. And as you think about this, uh, this psalm this morning, I, I have to think, and I don't have any way to know what was behind in David's heart while he wrote this, but I, I want you to know this. I, this is what I want you to know, is that we look for ways to do life. We look for it. Um, there's bestsellers written over and over every year on how to do life better. And I think that most of us, uh, in our failings, we're always searching. We're going, you know, I bet there's a better way to do this. And, and we look at the things that we struggle with and we say, I, I wonder, I wonder if there's a book written on this and five easy tips on how to succeed at life. Um, and, and, and who do we look to? It's interesting. We look to uh, sometimes sports people, and which is a funny thing because uh, most of the time uh, they're people who um, not the best moral people, but they can hit a baseball or they can score touchdowns or uh, they score points in basketball. And we say, oh, they must be a good person. And they must know things about life because they're, they're good at basketball and they make gazillions of dollars. Um, or, or we do that in business, too. Sometimes uh, those of you who are investors and you think about uh, different books you can read on investing and following people like Warren Buffett and others. And you say, you know, if I could just figure out how to do what they did, I'd be wealthy and my problems would go away. And so it's, it's walking in their footsteps. That's what I want to do. I want to, I want to hear their little secrets because, and it's very simple, very simple. And it's humble to do so, by the way. You say, they have succeeded and I'm looking at my finances and I obviously have not. And so I got to do something different. I need to listen to something, someone other than myself other than myself. And so we search for people who are successful and that we could follow. I want to submit to you this morning that this psalm might be a pattern for you from David. From David. Not just from David. It's inspired word of God. It's from God himself, right? God wrote through David this, what we're going to look at. But I, I want you to ask the question this morning, is this the, the key to success in life. Uh, we've been talking also as we've looked at the Psalms that uh, many times the Psalms brings up 
uh, how we're struggling, the struggles of life, even the things that we seek counseling for and we seek fixes for. And I want to tell you that this psalm today uh, might give us some focal points, things that we can fix our eyes on as we look to walk with the Lord in this life. Success means that you have to do something different than you did last time. If we failed last time, you have to ask the question, what is wrong with me? What do I need to change? How do I need to do things differently? And this morning as we look at this, maybe these are the things, the areas that God wants us to change. If you'd stand in honor of God's word, I'd like to read to you Psalm 19. God's word says this. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no uh, speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out uh, through all the earth, and their words to the end, end end of the world. In them... Uh, He has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. Verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Uh, The rules of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Verse 12. Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back uh, your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent, of, of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. God, do your work in your church today as we look at your word and help us to understand it, help us to be marked by it, changed by it, and we would ask that you'd grant us success by it, and all praise and glory should go to you. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. How many of you have had a puppy in your house before? Seems like a good idea, right? It it seems like a good idea. And uh, uh, I I think most puppies, uh, especially if they get past this, you know, the month or whatever, they're just spazzes. You know, they're just spazzes, especially depending on the breed. Some of you are way too into dogs. We'll forgive you. Um, but uh, you, you, when you think of a little puppy, and, and it, 
you know, there are some connections to little children as well, but uh, the thing about a puppy is they're excited about e- anything. They're, they're easily distracted. They find something they love and they, they're on it and they're, they're super excited, but then they might see something else they like it and they're, they're easily distracted by the next shiny thing or the next tasty treat. And they just go from one thing to another and one thing to another. And, and they're, they're all in all the time on the next thing, right? They're always ready to go. And this morning, uh, as we look at God's word, I, I, I really see three, uh, three points. And, and I want to see them as like focal points. And what I mean by that is this, that we would fix our eyes on it. That, that I, I pictured David you know, whatever phase of life he was in, as a man who desired to succeed in, in relationship to God, he, he, he gives three things, three things, really three focal points of his life. And I'm just going to give those to you in case you fall asleep later or get distracted. But uh, the, the first one is worship of God, worship of God. That he's going to talk about uh, how he worships and focuses, glorifies God. The second one is the word of God, the word of God, and how he, you know, he looks to the writings, the things that he finds in his word, and how those are a focal point. Those are a way, a place to fix our eyes. So uh, to worship God, and then the word of God. And then lastly, and this is kind of an interesting piece to it, uh, the child of God, the child of God. And when I say child of God, it's just basically saying himself, himself. And I know that part of our problems in life, and this may be a revelation to you, it's not that we think too little of ourselves, it's that we think too much about ourselves, right? Right? We, we focus on ourselves too much. But, but I, I, I think that as we look at the first two points, if we focus on the worship of God, we focus on the word of God, then we would be able to see clearly, see clearly who we are as the child of God. Okay? And so that's where we're heading this morning. Um, and so let's get into it. Verse 1, uh, chapter 19, verse 1. He says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. And as he, you see this, um, you, you see the heavens first. He, he displays the heavens, and that's the outer space, the sun, the stars, and the planet. As he looks at those, and he says, They are something. As I see those in the sky, they are something. They're magnificent. And then he says, the sky above, maybe picturing the lower atmospheres, the the clouds or the weather or the things that are underneath, they, I can see those as well. And and as he describes these in verse 1, he says they do something. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork, his handiwork. Um, it's interesting, even lately, I, I was sharing with someone before the service that we were talking about how man is always, sinful, prideful man is always attacking and wanting the glory of God for himself. And I think about um, our skies. Um, have any of you ever seen streaks in the skies? Yeah? It doesn't look natural, does it? 
What are they spraying up there anyways? <laughs> yeah, you want to know, but you don't want to know, right? Right? Uh, and, and I think about that, and I think, uh, you know, you see it. Sometimes you look at night, you see a star, and you're like, oh, there's a star. And then you're going, ah, it's moving. What is that? That's <laughs> not something. But as you look to the, and, and I, I love living in Tehachapi because of the, the, the beauty of this place. And I love looking at the sky, especially at night on some, you know, some of those nights. And you look up and you just see the magnificence of all that is in the sky. And, and on the right days, you know, that you look up and there's just beauty everywhere. And you, you, there's, a, there's a sense, as with the ocean, as with other parts of creation, you look at it and you, you feel small, but you see it to be magnificent. And what that is, we find from Psalm 19, is that that is not to display the greatness of man. No one ever feels like, yeah, I'm pretty powerful when I look to the sky and I I see the the vastness of it. I say, man, I I think I'm awesome. It's not meant to uh, feel awesome. It's meant to display or declare the glory of God. And the sky, as we see clouds and weather and various other things, it, it's to proclaim. It's to proclaim. And, and these things, these things of natural revelation, as God has done his work, they're meant to point to him. And not just to point to him. I, I think that we have plenty of things that, that point, are pointers, you know. And kids heading to school, I hate to bring it up just this week, it just so fresh and everything, but one of the things I remember them trying to teach me in school is write your name on your paper, right? And why? They say, write your name on your paper so the teacher knows that it's yours. If you do a bad job, why would you want to write your name on it, right? <laughs> you know, uh, you get your spelling test and you know you haven't, you know, you're like, man, I got a lot of these wrong. Nah, forget it. I'm just going to send this one in without a name, Right? But, but the point here is this, that as God does his work, it is meant to be attributed to him. And as we look at this section, he's going to go on and, and reiterate and, and point out one of uh, the, the primary things. It's meant to be connected with him. It's meant to display his powerful attributes, how great he is. And in so seeing how great he is, he deserves glory. He deserves it. And so as we look at creation, especially in the skies in this passage, it's this thing where we look to the sky and we say, God is amazing. God deserves glory. He's vast. He's the creator. We, we, we quickly attribute to him all the praise that is due. And, and as we see that, we see in verse 1, but also in the verses that are following down uh, to where he turns in verse six, uh, at the end of verse 6 to the law of the Lord. In this section, he's pointing out, he says, these things that you can see in the sky, they're meant to uh, draw glory to him. It's meant to display how great he is. And I want to tell you, and I think you should be mindful of it, especially as politicians, scientists, inventors, CEOs talk about their great things that they are doing. Ask the question, are they trying to steal the glory of God? Are they trying to shove God aside and say, we don't need him anymore? Um, I want to tell you that 
as David considered the, the heavens, as he considered the sky above, he connected it to his great God who had done these things, who had deserved glory. And so as we look at this, we see these two words, declare and proclaim. And I just want to say this, and it's not even about us declaring and proclaiming in like kind. There is some of that in this passage. But know this, that they're constantly declaring. They're constantly proclaiming. It's, it's funny, you can go out every night. You can go outside right now and you can look to the skies and you can see the vastness of it. And it stands as a, a permanent 24-hour-a-day declaration of the glory of God. Think about that. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, uh, if you have a sign for your business... That sign is meant to say you're open, right? That you're open for business and you love having a fixed sign, but there are times when you're not open, right? But this declaration, this proclamation of God's goodness and his work is 24 hours a day. It's all the time. He goes on to talk about this. And I'd say it this way, that the glory of God is on display. His handiwork is on display These represent his attributes, who he is. And then the verses following say how relentlessly throughout the whole world, in every language, they speak of our creator, the God who is so good. If you look down at verse 2, it says, day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. What he's saying there is this is happening on Monday and Tuesday. But it's not just happening in the daytime, it's happening in the nighttime on Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, and it's going on. And there's this sense in every day, both night and day, it is speaking forth, it is continuing on. Verse 3, as you see it, he says, there's no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Uh, Their voice goes out throughout the whole earth and their words to the end of the world. And and as you look at that, what he's saying is this, that this proclamation, this declaration of the goodness of God, his powerful attributes, that he is the one, it's, it's going out, it's displayed in the skies, both higher and lower, and that it is displayed day and night, every day, And it's displayed throughout the world, throughout the world. And so it's an interesting thing as we look at this in Tehachapi. um, This is true in China as well. This is true in Russia. This is true in in Canada, if you can believe that. Um, If you look to uh, South America, it's true there as well. And if you look at some of the most uh, frozen places in the world, it is on display there as well. God, who he is, that he's a God who's magnificent in his creation and and deserving of glory. And it's interesting, it's not just his creation, it's his ongoing um, sustaining of the creation, right? Uh, Creation happened long ago, and it wasn't like he just created and go, eh, good luck, Uh, but that he maintains that, and and it's on display even now. And so there's this magnificence, and, and, and all this in this first section is meant for us to acknowledge that God is a God who deserves our worship. 
He deserves our worship. And I, I don't even like saying that because it makes me sound like some kind of critic. I'm sitting in the front row and I go, well, God, impress me. <laughs> impress me. And I, I, I'm not waiting to be impressed. It's already there, right? He is worthy. He is worthy of our praise. And so for us to worship him, it's as easy as opening our eyes and seeing what God has already done, seeing what he is doing. In the midst of uh, this section, uh, he speaks of the heavens and the sky, and he talks about this voice that's going out all the time to all people relentlessly throughout the world. And then you see at the end of verse four that he speaks of one of the things that you can see, uh, probably the greatest, uh, the sun. End of verse four, it says that in them he has set a, a tent for the sun. And the picture here is this, that in the sky, it would be like a tent uh, that they would have been familiar with. And, you know, most of you have been camping. Those of you who, who haven't been camping, you're not missing much. Uh, but the idea of, you, you, you know, about being in a tent and, and you have a lantern or something and you put that lantern, you hang it up and it, it, it illuminates the whole tent. And the picture here is this, in the sky, it's like the tent it has nothing, but then you put the sun in it, and it illuminates the whole, uh, the whole tent or the sky itself. It is the focal point of, of the heavens. And, and then he goes on to describe it greater, the sun. And he says, verse 5, he says, which comes... Uh, out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. And, and the picture probably being this picture of a bridegroom ready, uh, all gussied up and all the magnificence of the best we can do. And that happens as he, as he comes out. As he, there, there's this picture of this is the best. This is the best. And it pictures the sun rising, the sun rising. And it says, in all its magnificence. And he, he says, along with that, verse 5, like a strong man runs its course with joy. It's interesting. Um, the, the picture of a strong man, maybe some kind of athlete who loves what he does, who, who loves its, his sport and he's ready for it. It's interesting. If you, you talk to an athlete and they've played a lot and they they, uh, it's what they do and their body's feeling great. They're, they're anxious for it. They're excited about it. It's not like the game is coming. They say, I can't wait for the game to start. Can't wait for the, the kickoff or the first pitch or the, you know, the, the jump ball. You know, you, you look at those things and they say they can't wait for it. And it's not like a burden to them to play. They're excited because they know what they're supposed to do. And he says, this is the picture of the sun as it rises, that the sun knows what it's going to do that day. It's got a place. It's got a purpose. It runs its course with joy. It's, it, it, it brings a sense of joy. And there is a sense, even as we look at the sun, there is, uh, if the sun was not there, we would struggle with depression in this life, right? If there was no new day. And so there's this point here. In verse 6, he says, its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. There is nothing hidden from its heat. And there's the picture, right? The rising of the sun 
It's moving on, it's moving on, and it's setting. And the sun is one that covers throughout the whole earth all the time. Once again, no one is left out. No one is not, uh, does not understand the display of the sun. And nothing is hidden from its heat. As you look at this, at this first section, I just tell you this, worship God. Worship God. Worship God. Get outside. Look at the heavens. You know, uh, what, what do you do when you're depressed? Well, not what you should do, but what do we do when we're depressed? I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to get out of bed. Uh, you know, one of the most annoying things a mom should do should do when their kids don't want to get out of bed. Let's go to the go to the window. Right? Flick the lights on. Right? Just keep flicking the lights on. You know. Um, I don't want to do anything. You know, go to the go to the door and push your kid outside and then slam the door behind him, right? Get him outside. Why? To see that it's a new day and that new day has come from the Lord. And that he is the one. He is the one that's sustaining things and keeping things going and going to be your help and strength today. And he was that in the past. He was the creator. And today he brought the sun for you. And so you can trust him with your day. And so as I look at this, I go, worship God. And I want to say this. This isn't for the underachievers here today. This is for kings and queens. This is for everyone. This is King David, a man after God's own heart, trying to figure out how to walk with the Lord. Him needing this as well. Him seeing this as well as he looks and he says, God is to be worshipped. His, his glory is on display. His glory speaks. And there is a sense in this passage where it's not talking about how we glorify God. It's, ha- it's talking about he is worthy in and of himself. And so as we would look and we would see, even as David saw, there's the worship of God. He deserves, he deserves the glory that is on display that speaks every day to all people all the time. And so uh, in creation, the space, the clouds, the sun specifically, we see that he is worthy of glory. He is the glorified creator Verse 7, we, we switch from worship of God to the word of God. And, and this is what we see. And maybe I wanted to say this too. Um, I, I found out this week that this is John MacArthur's favorite psalm. And Zach Lacombe. You know, I, I've never thought of more prominent people in all the face of this earth. John MacArthur and Zach Lacombe, our own worship guy. Zach told me that. But anyways, uh, I just wanted to say that. Uh, I didn't know either one of those. So anyways, worship uh, the word of God. Verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. As you look at this, as as you look at this section, you see the word of God. 
And it's the word described. I, I, I want to point out to you, even before we look any further, it's of the Lord, right? And, and as I want to say this, even as I talked about those books of so-called experts, I want to tell you that this is the law of the Lord. This is his book, right? He's got something to say. He doesn't just have something to say in the midst of all the other books, like as you as you'd see the Bible and you, you have the Bible and you maybe you have it this way, or maybe you have a pile of books and you say, I need to figure out my life. And so I'm going to go to the bookshelf or, or, the, or the nightstand and, and you have a pile of books and there's the Bible in the midst of those. And I want to say this, maybe even a visual for us is that we would only have the Bible sitting by itself, Right? And we'd have the other books sitting high like this way. And it's not that they couldn't think God's thoughts after him and have something good to say. But it's the idea is that God's word, his book, is different. It comes from him directly to you. And as he, he shared these words and had them recorded by his servants, we should take note of that. And it should be separate in our mind uh, in light of all other books and all other writings. And as he describes it, I, I want to say this, that, that this is not, the Bible is not the answer book. It, it's not the cheat code. It's not the book of hacks of life. It's God speaking to his people, lovingly speaking, Saying, I, I don't want you to suffer. I, I want you to know my heart. I, I want you to know how to walk with me. I want you to know me, and I want to know you. And that's why we have the Bible. And so in, in this section, like in a cadence, in a, uh, a list, and hammering us like this, it's of the Lord, of the Lord. It's from him that, that these are the words. And so as we see these, you see six different titles that the scripture reveals. That Maybe just a little different nuance of how the word of God is. I think a month or a month and a half ago or so, we went through Psalm 119. And I think there were eight words that were very similar. And they bring, bring out a different point and a different nuance. And uh, I really believe that it's the, the repetition, uh, the vastness of the word of God that it's meant to share using different titles, uh, revealing slightly different things. If you're going to think about the word of God in, uh, in any way, in, especially in this section here, it's a bunch of rare things you can't find any other place, nor to any other degree. <laughs> This is the place to find it. This is the place to find it. Now, um, are there any strugglers here today? Thank you. Thank you. All the cowards that sit around you that wouldn't raise their hand. Some of them were just thinking, well, well which, which struggle is he talking about? Because I got multiple struggles, right? I'm not a singular struggler, you know. Uh, as we look at this, uh, as we struggle, th there's this thing that is meant to, th this section specifically is meant to draw us in to read the word of God, to look for it, to search it. And why? 
Why are we to search it? Why? Because it would be good for us. It would be helpful to to the issues that we have. As you look at this and as you line them up, what is found in here? It it starts off and it says in verse 7, it says, The law of the Lord is perfect. It's perfect. And you say, oh, (laughs) haven't found that anyplace else. It's perfect. Reviving the soul. Reviving the soul. The, the, the idea of giving life to that which is inside. It says, sure, it says it's sure, making wise the simple. The simple means the one who doesn't know what's going on. And you say, I didn't realize I was in the Bible. That may be your life verse. That may be us, right? He's talking about us. Verse 7, the testimonies of the Lord are, are sure, making wise the simple. I'm the simple one. How can I become wise? It's by the, the, uh, the testimonies of the Lord that I can trust that are sure. Verse 8, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. And you say, I'm down today. What should you read? The Bible. Crack open the book of Psalms. Consider the gospels of Jesus Christ, of what he did for, he came to this earth for you and for me. And, and gain great courage, right? As you think about this, it's uh, when we need to rejoice, look to the word of God to do so. He goes on, he says, uh, middle of verse 8, the commandment of the Lord is pure, is pure. There's nothing pure in this life. The word of God is enlightening the eyes. Verse 9, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. What's going to last? What's going to last? I think it's interesting for those of you who are young here today. um, If you look through pictures of your parents, you'll see phases, right? It's kind of embarrassing to us as parents too, right? You had a phase. Maybe it was a style. Maybe it was, you know, something you were doing in your life at a period of time and you look differently. Even maybe your countenance looks differently and definitely your hairstyles look differently. And as you look at that and you see that, you see change happening and and going on. And I I just want to tell you that uh, there's one thing that should never change in your life. The word of God. It's place, right? It's good for the young. It's good for the old. It's forever. It's forever. Verse 9 at the end there, he says, The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. How do I know I'm right? How do I know if I'm doing what's right in the eyes of God? It's the word of the Lord, God's word, his book. That's how I know. How can I have confidence in this life that I'm following after him and doing what he wants? I'll know as I go to the word of God. He adds to this list, and he he says, and as he looks at these six titles, it reveals this amazing character of the Word of God. But I want to slow us down here. Once again, it's not the answer book, but it is him revealing his own heart for his people, him revealing himself, and that we would know him, and that he would know us, and, and that we would be able to walk with him. And then he says this as he kind of concludes this great section about the word of God. He says, 
Verse 10, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. As you look at this, um, what's the price of gold these days? You know? Must not have any. (laughs) I think it's like, I don't know, over $2,000 an ounce or something like that. An ounce isn't much. It isn't much. And it's interesting, as you look at the scriptures, uh, gold was a big deal back then. It's not as big of a deal now, but might be soon. Who knows? Um, didn't talk about the dollars, the greenbacks. You know, I didn't talk about those things. The yuan. Um, as you look at this, uh, how many of you want money? BJ, thank you for responding. Yeah. You want money? Yeah. And it's better than not having money, by the way, right? Yeah, it's good to have money because it, it provides for the things that you desire and want and feel like you need, right? And, and we seek it. You know how I know you seek it? Because you go to work, right? You have a bank. You like thinking through that your bank is doing what it's supposed to be doing and that you have reserves. Money is something to be sought after, and as you look at this, you, you, you can't, you know, rarely does anyone get money without doing anything. And so we, we feel ambitious towards that. We're even motivated to some degree about money, about money. Uh, some of you work overtime because you realize you can make more money, right? Or maybe you think about investing. So money is a good thing and you work hard and some of you sell junk, on Facebook sell marketplace and Tachapi sells, you know, to your, your junk to your neighbor, you know, type thing. And, and, and the reason you say, I, I, want, I want money, I, I want money because money is good to have when you need it. He says, gold. He doesn't say silver or copper. He doesn't say the word of God is like copper. It's not aluminum, Right? He doesn't, he doesn't say that. It's not steel. He says it's like gold. It's like gold. It's interesting. There's other things that were more valuable, and maybe more valuable even today than gold. But gold was kind of the pervasive top of the pyramid throughout the whole world. The most popular and the most expensive of all the metals that are known everywhere. Gold. So he says about the word of God, he says this, it's better than gold. It's better than gold. And you say, wow. So if I have a chance to make a little bit of extra money or read the Bible, what should I do? This should, this should be helpful for us, right? This should be helpful for me. As I look at the... Uh, the, the little bit of time I have in this life and the, the time I have in a day, sh- should I search the scriptures? Yes. Why? Because it's, it's better than gold. It's better than money. He even reiterates by giving the second line, he says, even much fine gold, and that's the idea of pure gold. It's not just talking about the junk you, you could sell at the pawn shop. It's talking about if you would go to a mint and you would see this beautiful, pure piece, and it's as pure as it possibly can be. He says, that gold, the most expensive, it's better than that. He adds to that, and, and, and 
What you want to get here as you look at this is, is how he speaks of it. He, he speaks of the words value. It, and, and the value is this. It, it's, and th- this is what we struggle with in our mind. We say, oh, there's the Bible. It's not worth much. Eh, got a lot of things to do. It's not valuable. It's not valuable. And he says, yes, it is. It's more valuable than the richest thing you can do today. It's more valuable than that. The second thing, he says that it's sweeter than honey. It's interesting, the unbeliever would say this. As they they look at the Bible, they say, ah, the Bible's boring. I can't stand the Bible. Why, why can't you stand the Bible? Well, it doesn't agree. I have some ideas, you know, that, that I, I, you know, I like to get drunk or, you know, it doesn't fit my worldview. I have a different worldview. I, I think some things should go on. I want to say this. For those of you who want to keep your own ideas, the word of God might be bitter and boring, bitter and boring. But the psalmist writes, David writes, as he looks upon his life and he sees what he has already found and also the future, he says, it's sweeter than honey in the honeycomb. It would have, it would have been this beautiful thing. I think that in our um, sugar, saccharin, various other things in the world, everything's sweet, right? I remember uh, we were, last year we were doing trunk or treat. It's where the church gives um, all this red dye and terrible things to kids and hopes of the gospel. Yeah, and um, and um, yeah, as as I was sitting with this family that that tries to um, like not have that as being part of their life, and their kids would go get some candy and they'd come and they'd go, "Hey, mom." Can I eat this? And it's this nasty, you know, red worm and, you know, it's full of sugar. And she's like, you know, and so it pops it in. And I was thinking about that. Why do kids, why do kids love sugar? Because it's good, right? It's good. It's tasty. And if they get a little bit, how much do they want? Yeah, they're like, when will they stop, Right? And they're about ready to throw up. Maybe, maybe, yeah, right? And, and this picture was that they're drawn. It's not because they did the math and, you know, it's always funny when parents are like, um, they're looking at like, probably kale's probably the best. And you, you have your little one or maybe your middle school or high schooler, or college student or husband. Um, and you say, you say, it's good for you. And you're looking at it and going, I don't get it. You got to do better than that, right? There needs to be better marketing on kale, right? Uh, there, there's this, there's this thing. It doesn't draw us, but but that which is sugary, man, you don't need no sales pitch, right? It just tastes good. And I want to tell you that in the Bible, they didn't talk about sugar. They didn't talk about saccharin or artificial sweeteners. They just talked about honey. Why? Because that was the dessert of its day. If some, there was some bread or something that was dry and boring, what did they do? Honey it, right? We, we still do that today. I, I put some in my coffee. Coffee without something sugary is pretty rough, right? And it's this idea that you're putting something sweet and you're saying, this is something that I want. This is something that I want. And the psalmist says this. 
As you taste what's in the word of God, it's something that you want. It's sweeter than honey in the honeycomb. If you would have found the honeycomb or the honey hive and they would take it and they would, oh man, this is amazing. This is amazing. In a boring world that everything is nasty, the taste honey would have been amazing. And he says, that's the word of God. So he says, what is the value? He says, well, some people say it's not value, but it's actually more valuable than gold. And some people would say that the word of God doesn't taste good. It's bitter. Or I don't like it. And whatever. He says, no, it's sweeter than honey in a honeycomb. And then the, this last verse, as he ties up this section, he says this, moreover, by them, your servant is warned. And in keeping them, there is great reward. And I would just say the last point of this section is this. What is the value of the word of God? It's practical. It's practical. I I don't want to say just because something's practical, you should do it. But I want to tell you the word of God is practical. In the mess of your life, it, it is good for you to know and hear from God. As you look at this, he says this, they're warned, right? They're warned. What do you know about tomorrow? Nothing. Nothing. Like, you know, every day, the reality is for us as, as people, every day is a new day, unchartered territory, right? And you say, well, how can I, that, that, that makes me fearful. It should, it should. But you know this, that the word of God can warn you about things that are coming, it can help you navigate the difficult days ahead. It warns you. And, and not just in a sense of warning of impending doom, but it says this, in keeping them, there is great reward. How do you be successful in this life? And I'm not talking about success in the eyes of other people, but how can you be successful in the eyes of God? Where is the, their great reward in this life? It's following the word of God. As you look at this, there's great reward. There's great benefit to the word of God, which brings us to verse 12, the child of God. And I see those first two as displaying God, God in creation, God in his written word, uh, natural revelation, specific revelation. As you look at this, he sees this. And so now it comes to me. Now it comes to this person. And by the way, the reason I say the child of God um, and not just people, because oftentimes our problems kind of go like this. What's your problem? And you say, my husband. What's your problem in your life? My kids, my boss. If my parents wouldn't have raised me this way, I wouldn't be, like, like you quickly connect out here to your problems. There's this funny, I saw this funny little clip of video where the guy says, you know, my doctor told me that I had to remove all stress from my life. And you see this man, and it's his front door, and the door opens, and his kids are pushed outside. The door closes, and just a moment later, his wife comes sailing out, you know. And uh, you, you may feel that way. You say, you know, my problems all relate to people. And I, I want to tell you, the Word of God says this. Your problems may be... Uh, Part of that, that might be part of it, but your greatest problem is you, is you. And so the response to the glory of God, of him revealing both in creation, but also in his word, what should we do? 
should be introspection, right? We should look at our own life and say, is there something that needs to change? Look at this. Verse 12, who can discern his errors? And who, who can figure out what's wrong with their, themselves? Who, who can do that? And he goes on this section, he, and he's going to talk about sins. What needs to be removed from my life? Where are the, the places that need to change? Verse 12, he says, declare me innocent of, from hidden faults, right? And you say, ooh, hidden faults. Um, it's funny, sometimes our hidden faults are just hidden to us. Everyone else knows what they are. Uh, our hidden faults, the sins that we have. Verse 13, uh, keep back your servant, what? Also from presumptuous sins, right? That I, I charged ahead when I should not have. And then he says this, let them not have dominion over me. I look at that word dominion and it's that, that idea of control. And I know that there are some here today, you say, there's some sins that are controlling me. I want to tell you that this is what needs to happen. The word of God, uh, the person of God, like the, that we would focus on him and that we would be able to, to trust God to do the work that only he can do. He says, then I shall be blameless and innocent of innocent of great transgression, right? And, and there's this snowball effect that continues with our sin that continues to get worse. Verse 14. And I want to focus on verse 14 just as we close this morning. I, I have a few uh, concluding thoughts, but look at that last verse. I do believe that this verse is, is obviously because it's inspired, but it's the last verse, and this should be the conclusion as we've worshiped God, we see him in his word, we realize that we're susceptible to sin. The, the psalmist has a, a final thought or prayer, prayer thought, a genuine thought, and this should be ours. Verse 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. As I look at this passage and, and as I see this last verse, um, I, I realize that the conclusion of my life, the daily heart desire from me should be this thing. And, and as he says, the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, I, I want to tell you that those two are connected. I would say this too, your heart uh, will dictate your actions. And one of the actions, one of the most powerful actions is your words. And, and I think it's obvious, right, when the words come out, I had a friend one time who would say a bunch of obnoxious, offensive things, and then he would act like he was a different person. And he said, who said that? And it was obvious that he said that. And there's this shocking thing. And I, I, I think often we feel that way. We say something ridiculous. We say something offensive. We say something hurtful. And then we act like, where'd that come from? Let me tell you, your heart. That's where it came from. It came from your heart. And I, I think that it's important for us to acknowledge that the, the heart and your mouth are connected and so the psalmist writes this. He said, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to me and the people around me. I do that every once in a while, right? Because sometimes we, we are, are with people and we're like, oh, what should I say? I don't want to say that. 
because they won't like that. I, I won't say that. I won't, uh, people won't be attracted to me if I, I bring this up and that they, you know, they don't like hearing that. So I'm not going to say that. Uh, and, and, and what the psalmist is saying is this. Things that are in my heart, the things that come out of my mouth, may they be acceptable to the God of glory, to the God of glory, the God of the heavens, the God of the earth, the God of the sun, the God who spoke his word. May my words and my thoughts, and the thoughts are the tough part, right? The words are tough too, but like the, the, the thoughts and the meditation, the stuff that's inside some of us have a good tight rein on our tongue in the sense that we put duct tape over our mouth, right? We think that just as long as it doesn't come out, we're good. I want to tell you that the psalmist said, I want the inside and the outside to be acceptable to God. Why? Because he's the Lord, my rock and my redeemer. How am I going to stand? How am I going to be fixed? My rock and my redeemer. Three things as we close this morning. Um, I just want to remind you, and these are, you know, summaries of these focal points. The first one is this. What we see should cause us to praise him. What we see should cause us to praise him. We get to live in a beautiful place. Uh, There are other beautiful places. There's beauty in, I would even say, all places. I got to go to the beach uh, a couple weeks ago. Beautiful, right? Right? Uh, I get to live in the mountains. These are kind of tiny mountains. But uh, uh, there are other places that are majestic and mountains. And there's even beauty in the desert, if you can believe that. And uh, there's beauty all over. And you can travel the world and you can see beauty all over. And what should that make you do? It should make you praise the Lord. Worship him. Number two. He is better than everything and anything. He is better than anything and everything. And I say he uh, really should be, if you read this passage, you can come away and say, no, 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 his word, his word is better than anything and everything. Exactly. Where did the word come from? From him. And so, so as you're, you're negotiating through life and as you're picking and choosing what you do to remember that anything that competes with God, any little idol or something that's attracting you as a puppy would be distracted by a a treat or something shiny, to just remind yourself, let the word of God remind you he's better than everything and anything. And so, so for us to hang our life on it, hang our life on it, Not to go a little bit here, a little bit there, but everything that I have, I hang my life because he's better than everything and anything. Last thing. And forgive me for using this word, but I would say this. Only calibrate yourself to him. Only calibrate yourself to him. And that word calibrate, you know, look for other ones. They're probably better ones, but... If you're working on something, sometimes a computer or a car gets out of whack and it's not running right. And and you say, how can I get it back? There's these little computers that they use on cars all the time. You can buy a cheap one or expensive one and you plug it into your car and it says, make a twist here, make this, change this. And, And finally it gets back together. And 
But the problem in this life is this, that, that there's different people telling you to change different things. There's, there's all kinds of ideas what's wrong with your life. There's all kinds of ideas. And as, as I've watched this passage and I think about King David and I think about him as a powerful man and things that he's accomplished, both, but also temptations of, of danger, of politics and the idea of leadership. And, and what does he say? He says, I, I need to focus on what he thinks of me. That, that when I look to, you know, I'm not taking a poll. If everybody likes me and everyone agreed with that last word and everyone thinks like I think, but that I'm going to him. And, and the only change that needs to happen is that my mind, my heart, my mouth needs to be changed to him. It's interesting. Uh, you do this also in medicine where they take a blood test. And they say, oh, you need a little bit more of this and a little bit more of that. And, and I, I think that's interesting because your blood really does tell what's going on inside, right? It's just a number. The problem is, who decides what those numbers are supposed to be? And I just want to tell you, as you look at your life, as you think through what you're doing, what you're thinking, what you're saying, only listen to him. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this psalm. Help us to live this way. Help us to uh, enjoy the success that comes from following you. God, help us to see ourselves small before you, needy before you, that we would be worshipers of you. God, thank you for not leaving us alone, for being worthy of worship and creation, giving us your word, and then help us as we sort out and try to avoid the sins that our heart uh, chases after so, so often. God, do your work in your church, I pray in Jesus' name.